Hello, and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 75 movies, one cage. This is episode 60, Astro Boy from 2009. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and I really feel like it's hard to not be disappointed by this movie for two reasons. First of all, we just talked about Bad Lieutenant, which is one of the best Cage movies of all time. Yeah. But directly before Bad Lieutenant was G-Force, which was another animated movie that we could kind of lump in with Astro Boy. And that, for multiple reasons, you know, Cage's crazy voice, sort of the overall excitement of the story, that's so great. And this is just sort of like a, a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, I feel like G-Force really raised the bar high for children's film. And especially, you know, the voice acting talents of Nicolas Cage himself. I mean, yeah, that's everything we wanted, you know? That was, that was yeah. it. And I was hoping for him to do something similar, at least, you know, a thick accent of some kind, perhaps throw the Italian one back on for a try. But you're right, that was a big disappointment. He's he's essentially using his voice this time. Do literally anything. I mean, he's basically his voice if his voice was just bored and kind of sad <laughs> and depressed. As soon as I heard his voice for the first time, I just sort of like lost all hope for the movie. But he's just, Nicolas Cage never really gets a chance to kind of break out. He was his voice, his normal voice in The Ant Bully, another animated movie we talked about. But at least in that movie, he got a chance to sort of go big and sort of get angry and show his range. Here, he's just like this older guy who... There's even opportunities, I think, for him to kind of be like, have like these emotional moments, and he just never does it. Yeah, I think with at least the ant bully, you know, Zock was kind of a fun character. Like, this guy's pretty depressed. He, he's grieving. First, I feel like he's grieving for the absentee mother, and then he's grieving for his son at some point, and then even later, he's in some other kind of funk. He's not especially cheery to begin with. It's kind of tougher to do something interesting with that. It just feels like, I know it's not, but it feels like something I've seen before. I didn't realize it was based on a manga. Uh There's apparently, you know, TV shows I think you were saying that you've seen some episodes from or you watched in preparation for this from the 60s and 80s. I didn't realize that's kind of, in a way, like Wally meets Pinocchio, kind of, but not nearly as interesting or original as either of them. I was never very into Astro Boy growing up, but he was always around. I always recognized him. He was pretty much this iconic robot figure. I'm pretty heavy into robots, so I'm, I'm aware of him, but <laughs> it wasn't until recently that I tried to figure out his backstory and, and what he's all about and, and all that kind of thing. I was more into Voltron back <laughs> when I was a kid, I guess. This film has a lot of elements from the early anime and manga in it, but it definitely goes off in its own direction. Like you were saying, it kind of has the Wally feel to it with the garbage planet. Yep. That's not really anything I remember from the original. I'm also feeling lots of Elysium, you know, yeah. and AI, artificial intelligence, you know, with the boy robot, sort of like the flesh fair moment that we get in here, even quite strange at moments. And sort of as disappointing and mediocre as Elysium was, I don't know if you loved it. I just sort of was, I think the general consensus at least was that it was a little bit of a letdown from District 9. Even Elysium is, like, infinitely more interesting than this movie. That this movie is basically about a floating city, reminding me a little bit of Age of Ultron, where all the the rich people kind of live, and there's, like, a robot society. Everything is good, and the robots take care of everything. And Nicolas Cage is a scientist who develops robots. What's kind of weird, I guess, and, we'll, well, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, is that it's amazing how quickly his son dies. Like... I don't know where he goes. I don't know if in the manga he comes back or anything, but actual Toby, because Astro Boy, the Astro Boy that we follow around is a robot that replaces Cage's son. I don't know if the manga he comes back, but like Toby dies like 20 minutes into this movie. <laughs> he just gets sucked away and never returns. 
Yeah, and, and his death in this is drastically different from the two versions I watched, two cartoon versions from the 60s and 80s. Uh, and this is way more violent. He is pretty much, like, evaporated by, <laughs> like, another robot. In, in the original, he's always get, gets into a car accident for one reason or another. And then he dies, and that's the reason his, his father sort of becomes obsessive with bringing his son back to life, sort of like a Dr. Frankenstein um, syndrome. Because this movie kind of begins with Nicolas Cage as the father and just doesn't have any time for him. We see Toby get picked up by a butler or a chauffeur and we just get a projection of Cage and it's kind of cool technology, it's kind of a cool idea. You know, he's basically like, hey, like I wish I could spend time with you but I gotta do work. Hello, son. Hello, sir. How was school? Oh, great. Pistachio dropped a pop quiz on us but I'm pretty sure I got 100%. That's good, son. Very good. But I don't want you to become complacent. It's important to keep studying. Onward and upward, Toby. Sure, Dad. I'm aware I said I'd take you to that symposium on quantum mechanics, but I'm afraid I have to take a rain check again. You promised. I'm sorry, Toby, but it's unavoidable. President Stone has brought forward the unveiling of the Peacekeeper. The Peacekeeper? You gotta be kidding me. I never kid. Goodbye, son. Toby instead has to go against his dad's wishes and go to his dad's job. And I guess because of breaking those wishes, he ultimately leads to getting killed or sort of vanishing into nothingness or whatever. It's depressing how removed and detached the dad is. It's very strange at first, yeah, how distant their relationship is, especially for a children's film. And it's something you think would be an arc for them, that by the end, they would grow super close together. And that never really ends up happening. Like, the father has a lot of resentment toward his son later, especially when he becomes, like, Astro Boy, you know, and ultimately will disown him. And they don't really do the best job explaining so much why he becomes so crazy, but his character just, like, loses his mind immediately when his son dies. But he, like, loses his mind, but not, like, in an interesting way. There's sort of one plot, or I guess there's two stories in this movie. This this sort of guy, is he, like, the president of the planet? The guy who played by Donald Sutherland. Basically, while watching this movie, all I could think of was President Snow from The Hunger Games. It's basically the same kind of character, right? Yeah, and his name is President Stone. So (laughs) at one point I thought they said President Snow. I was like, well, hey, what? What's going on? But yeah, he so he's the president of Floating City, Metro City. He's up for re-election, and his whole platform is he wants to go to war with the surface. Uh, He thinks that's what the public is interested in and everything like that. So he commissions Astro Boy's father to build sort of a war bot of some kind. Yeah, what they call the Peacekeeper. And there's kind of set up early on these vague ideas that these robots are powered by, or at least Peacekeeper. I don't know. I don't really get a sense. Maybe I miss it. I don't know if all robots are powered by these cores or if these cores are special. There's like a blue core, which is sort of goodness, and there's a red core, which is sort of evil. President Stone wants both cores to be put into the Peacekeeper, so he's like this ultimate fighting machine. But instead, he just gets the red one, and then Nicolas Cage steals a blue one and sort of builds a recreation of his son. It's all strange and weird, and it feels like it sort of suffers from adaptation syndrome. Not adaptation in the movie, but adaptation like we've talked about, where it's sort of based on like a source material, and it's trying to tell so much story so quickly. And I feel like there's a lot of cool ideas here that we just never learn about. 
Yeah, I actually feel like they're trying to overcomplicate the story, too, as if they don't have enough faith in the simplicity of the original. But there's definitely enough, you know, just from the two different versions of his origin story I saw, which were a half hour each, like there's definitely enough there to stretch out into 88 minutes. It just seems that the inclusion of this sort of core element thing, which seems to be a new discovery, is one of the deviations that they made that perhaps they just wanted to infuse it with something new and original, you know, and and get away from the source material to some degree. And this was a way of making their mark. One thing it kind of does to damage the character of Astro Boy a little bit is what I noticed that was kind of cool about him in the cartoon is he always needs to recharge and like he can't fly unless he's full power and he shares his power with other robots from time to time with this sort of blue core energy that doesn't really come into play so much as it could have. He's kind of like an unstoppable machine that he can sort of do whatever. He gets cast down to earth. He kind of, he falls off the floating city, right? And lands on the, the surface world. Yeah. And, like, whatever problem they're having, he's sort of, I mean, it's kind of like a hiding your true colors or whatever. He doesn't tell them he's a robot because there's a lot of tension between humans and robots, and eventually that becomes in the leader. But, like, he's sort of hiding it. But, like, whatever they need to do, you know, whether they're cleaning up this big robot that they're building or, you know, rege- re-energizing things, he has no limitations. Like, it's not like, I guess maybe, you know, if this was going to be, like, a TV series, they would show it need to have limitations but he's sort of like an all-powerful... I mean, he even when they go into basically the Roman Colosseum equivalent, he just takes out every robot. and He doesn't even seem to break a sweat. He's just... He's too powerful, and he's just like a robot, like a little kid robot that just got his abilities. Yeah, and I just think it detracts from him being as interesting as he could be. His personality is just quite different, too. I think it's kind of obvious that a, a major influence is Pinocchio. What I think the cartoons did really well, and just from just a very brief viewing of them is that it captured sort of that naivete that Pinocchio had and the sort of, I don't know, he would, he didn't really know best, right? Like he would always trust the wrong strangers and sort of get into trouble and swallowed by a whale. And, you know, he would just, he didn't know better. Right. That really came through with Astro Boy to me with the original. He even gets sort of tricked into performing in a circus and quite like the donkey show in the Pinocchio uh, movie. And I feel like making him too powerful making him too confident, making him sort of too smart, just makes him an entirely new character in a way. And not for a better way, right? Like, sort of for, like, a less interesting, like, I mean, that's kind of why I think, and this is sort of going way off track a little bit, but why people, I think, connect to Batman more than Superman, because Batman has flaws, he's human. Superman, aside from Kryptonite, sort of can't be stopped by anything, right? And so he's kind of a boring sort of superhero, or at least in comparison boring. Like, it's cool to see him sort of exert all his powers, but then after he does all that, you're like, all right, na- like, now what? Who's going to stop him? Like, Astro Boy, what's going to stop this version of Astro Boy? Not even, like, a giant robot, not even all the robots, not even this ultimate robot that, like, the Peacekeeper robot or whatever Donald Sutherland throws at him. <laughs> not even this, like, weird squid alien at the end of the movie. Everything that he encounters... He just knows how to deal with. And it's just cool, I guess, but it's also more so just kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think one element they try to keep intact is his 
relationship with his father, you know, as crazy and sort of strange that that seems like that is pretty true to the original there, where it's like they're sort of from the society in a way where, you know, humans and robots, there's a bit of bigotry there, right? I don't know. It's like kind of like before the fall of mankind in the Matrix in the cartoons where you see like humans just disrespect their robots and treat them like property and things like that. So you get that sense that when he basically turns his son into a robot and needs to hide that and then so he can't deal with that shame and things like that like i feel like those come through now as some of the stronger moments and that almost astro boy's greatest enemy are like his emotions and like that's something that they could have played up a lot better especially him being this you know child this representation of a child and stuff it it could have worked pretty well I guess there is sort of one good thing to say about the movie, and it kind of goes back to what you're, or kind of refers to what point you just said, that they could be doing all these different things. They're just touching on a lot of things. Like, the pace is pretty good, and it's never really, I'm saying, like, he as a character is kind of boring, but, like, there's always something happening on screen, so the movie's not necessarily boring. Like, he gets down to Earth, and he just meets all these people, and then they're going on adventures, and they get sort of found out that he's a robot, and he's fighting other robots, and he goes back up to the planet and or the floating city one thing after another like there's always things happening but it's just like we were talking about with lord of war like focus on one or two of these things and sort of show like spend 15 or 20 minutes on it instead of just taking like five minutes on like five or six things yeah i agree with that too it feels a little overpacked especially when he gets to the surface i was looking forward to him living with and learning from the other robots that were cast out we get some of that and i like that some of my favorite stuff when he gets to the surface but then we get the humans like these children and the kids and stuff and it just kind of works too but it just feels like do one or the other in a way it just felt like you could have paid more attention to one and gotten more out of it i feel like it's the same kind of thing that we get with cage these like kernels or these nuggets of interesting character development and interesting relationships and interesting emotions and he has heartbreaking lines like you're not my son and i don't want you anymore how do i think this could work what's wrong with me why don't you love me anymore he's programmed with the memories of your own son tenman program doesn't that mean anything to you but he isn't my son dad I, i'm i'm not your dad you're not toby you're a copy of toby not my son, a robot, and and I uh, don't want you anymore. But we never really see like what happens to him after he delivers that line. That he's this scientist who builds this robot to replace his missing or dead son, delivers this heartbreaking line, basically casts him off, and then we just don't see him until the end of the movie. What is he up to? Like, How is he coping with this? I know it's not supposed to be necessarily a depressing character study, this is just, you know, a G or PG rated movie for kids. You have so many interesting ideas here and interesting possibilities, and it's just so eager to jump to the next idea instead of just taking any time at all and just sort of developing anything. Yeah, and I definitely feel like you should go with the father storyline like instinctually like this should be sort of a movie about like a father and son like at least about a father accepting his son for who he is or you know all that kind of stuff and instead when we cut back to what's going on in the sky it's mostly to president snow like and what he's up to and like his motives and, and his stuff you know what he needs to do to find astro boy but it could have been stronger and they could have earned a nice ending if the dad journeyed to the surface to look for his son and they both get 
get captured in the end, and that's when he has to sort of modify him to save the day. And yeah, there was definitely a missed opportunity. They weren't sure what they wanted, so they went with everything. And that's sort of the same thing I feel about with like the voice talent in this movie. Like we haven't really, I mean, we, we sort of mentioned some of the people who were in this movie, but for a movie with voice talent from Nicolas Cage, Kristen Bell, Charlize Theron, Nathan Lane, Samuel L. Jackson, Bill Nighy's back, all these actors are like really capable and interesting and compelling voices. Like let them do anything, give them anything to work with. Kristen Bell as Cora, kind of, I guess she's sort of the closest thing to like an emotional journey through this movie, right? That she eventually reunites with her family. But even that, it's sort of like it's just like nobody's given anything to sort of like work with or develop on. So I'm going to tell you something heartbreaking. Uh, is I watched the special features, one which was called something like In the Booth, you know, like exploring voice talent. And Bill Nighy said, I did everything twice. I would do what I wanted to do, which was sort of this outrageous, outlandish, take a chance voice. And then I would do it more like myself. And the director always went with the more subdued one that sounded like me. Ugh. But the silver lining is that he got to play two characters. He's also the red robot Ooh. that's part of the resistance when he reaches okay. the planet so it was a bit of a compromise there i suppose ah uh, and not and not compromising the interesting <laughs> sense <laughs> no, in the, not in the sense. way we've come to learn apparently scarlett johansson was supposed to be the Kristen bell part but she dropped out or got replaced by Kristen bell for unknown reasons i think the problem i have with the voices is that everybody just sounds like themselves like nobody's trying anything and maybe like you just said Maybe that's a directorial thing. Maybe he wanted a movie where people would be like, oh, I recognize, okay, I'm going to see the movie where I get to hear Nicolas Cage. I get to hear Samuel L. Jackson, even though he only apparently says 11 words. Uh, I get to hear Kristen Bell. I get to hear Charlize Theron. I get to hear whoever. You know what I mean? I can see that sort of as like a kind of a creative decision, but I also love, you know, G-Force, where Cage is doing the Charlie Bodell voice and it's completely unrecognizable but it fits the character. You know, if you're going to make a movie, and especially something as creative and sort of inspired as this thing that created, like this manga that created multiple TV series, let people sort of interpret the character how they want and just sort of let them go a little bit big. This is not a subdued movie. Like, the (laughs) plot is crazy. Like, let people go big. Yeah, I I totally wholeheartedly agree with that. You know, we talked a little in G-Force how Cage is sort of the only one putting on a voice, but it's a different form of animation. You know, you almost need everyone else to sound a little more recognizable because these are talking hamsters and they're talking guinea pigs and we're in the real world. But here, these are animated humans. Like, you can use a voice to sort of imprint whatever you want onto these new characters. And instead, it's disheartening that Nick Cage looks like Nick Cage. He sounds like Nick Cage, you know? Would have been, maybe he was a little miscast, you know? It would have been a little cooler if he played the guy, uh, the human on the surface, who's the rodeo ringleader of the robot slaughter. The Nathan the Nathan Lane character, like, imagine if that was Nick Cage. Like, he could have really done something with that. But instead, even Nathan Lane just sounds like Nathan Lane. And even toward the end of the movie, when eventually Toby, who's been dubbed Astro or Astro Boy returns to Metro City, returns to that floating planet, the floating city, and Cage kind of goes against President Stone's orders, steals the core back, and, like, revive Like, everything... Like, even these, like, exciting moments that are sort of these big twists at the end, even those aren't necessarily, like... I don't know if he's not trying, or if he's, again, just sort of like Bill Nighy was... He did two different versions... And they chose the more boring version. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but like, even these, he just, they don't, nothing seems inspired, even at like the emotional climax of the movie. 
they try to go like super big here at the end with the giant almost man of steel level citywide destruction you know it's like astro boys 911 here <laughs> and the city falls out of the sky and you know it's all really like cool but there's nothing really behind it there is you're right no emotional impact really to any of this it just feels sort of like action and you know i guess i, I guess kids are going to giggle when you know astro boys butt opens and you know shoots machine guns for a minute there oh and you you better believe that i wrote down button machine guns <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talk about Cage Club first. You're right. It's just action without any real emotion there. And what's crazy is that, you know, at the end of the movie, when sort of Astro Boy has to save the day, his life flashes before his <laughs> eyes, but his life is like the 45 <laughs> minutes of the movie that we've seen. And so we're just cut back to like six scenes. It's like, yeah, we saw that. Like, there's no emotional heft there. It's like supposed to be played for like this history and like, look at all these encounters and these relationships he's developed, but there's just nothing there. It's, it's so funny you mentioned that moment in Astro Boy because I saw Creed this morning, okay? And there's sort of a similar moment when Creed is at a low point and his life sort of kind of flashes before his eyes, but it's just scenes from the movie we've watched for the last two hours. <laughs> but it worked so well. The movie right. was really heavy and dramatic and, and I really liked it. <laughs> I got home and watched Astro Boy and saw sort of the same moment and it just didn't have like any impact. It's, it's amazing how hollow it rings. It's like, oh, Oh, I'm remembering Korra from Down on Earth, and I'm remembering meeting my dad, and I'm remembering beating robots, and I'm remembering doing this. And it's like, I guess in, in sort of the movie time, maybe it took two or three days, so maybe he did, I don't, but I don't know. Like, it just, everything happened so quickly that, aside from maybe his sort of relationship with Korra, and even that, his relationship with Korra is basically like, hey girl, why are you so sad that you're, you're missing your parents? Like, tell me about that. Like, he never really connects with her, he just sort of lets her open up. It's not a relationship, and that's sort of like the most emotion that he shows in the entire movie. Yeah, I almost feel like all those flashbacks should be moments with his dog Trash Can, because he really seems like his best friend through the whole thing. And Trashcan hates him. <laughs> yeah, though. no, no Trashcan can't stand him. They haven't really taken their time. I th- I feel like that's the whole issue. It, it's another one of those sort of Ritalin films where it just keeps going and going and they just keep throwing new things at you instead of, you know, sticking with something and making it something of value and something that pays off. And I guess we get a nice moment at the end when Cage kind of learns a lesson that Astro Boy saves the day, good triumphs over evil. The big lesson learned, I guess, is to be nice to your robot servant. Like, <laughs> that story doesn't even feel earned. Like, why does Cage get, like, there's, there's no journey for his character. Like, why does he get to learn a lesson? I don't understand. Will you be wanting the car, sir? I don't want you to call me sir anymore, Oren. In fact, take the day off. Go on and enjoy yourself with the robot ladies and so forth. Huh. Thank you, Dr. Tenma. Call me Bill. Yeah, no, and Astro Boy should not just, like, welcome his dad back with open arms either, right? I mean, he heard, overheard his dad saying, like, I don't want him, you know, he's not human. I've created a monster, you know, gets his son to run away and doesn't feel like anything's earned there. It's just, like, we need them to be at a certain point by this time, so let's just write it that way and animate it that way and make it so because we can. So all in all, I was not really crazy about this movie. I mean, it's not bad and like it's kind of cool. It just feels like something that I've seen before. There's nothing really original or new here. The Cage performance isn't anything really worth seeing. 
Astro Boy is voiced by Freddie Highmore, who is the really super creepy Norman Bates on Bates Motel, who I <laughs> do not like that show, do not like that kid, so like, I, that's, <laughs> that's not going to make me want to watch this movie again. This is a movie that's definitely more on the scale, at least in terms of my opinion, toward Christmas Carol than toward G-Force, in terms of the movies that you don't necessarily have to or really want to see for Cage Club. I don't think that this is a uh, necessary watch. You know, if, if you love robots, you might like a lot of the design of this film. The, the city has that Tomorrowland look to it, so if you yeah. like that kind of stuff, like, the movie looks great. Like, I think it's a really good-looking CGI cartoon and all that, but I feel like if you're a fan of Astro Boy, you know, and grew up with him or just know about him and all that, this really isn't going to be the Astro Boy you grew up with. I feel like this is just something new for a new generation. If you're going to watch a movie like this, just watch The Iron Giant instead, I guess. You know, just sort of a different kind of robot movie. And I only say that because supposedly... Brad Bird was originally interested in directing this movie and then didn't follow through for one reason or another, which is probably the right decision. But yeah, like, you know, watch Tomorrowland, watch The Iron Giant, watch any movie with sort of more inspired special effects or story or whatever. Astro Boy, I think, is, you know, it's not bad, but it's just it's one that you can skip. So for all things Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews, find past podcasts, follow us on Twitter, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Everything Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. Cage Club.